1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are all, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now we need to, as we said last week, before we can reach the destination that we need to be or want to be in the Christian life, we have to get located as to where we are. I mean, a map is of no value in getting to your destination if you, unless you know where you are. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this epistle to help them get located. And he lists four different kinds of people that are present in this congregation this morning. There are those that we looked at last week that he lists under the category of the natural man, that is, the person without the Holy Spirit, and the spiritual man, that is, the mature Christian. We want to look at the other two kinds of Christians. Now, normally, you and I would think that there are just two kinds of Christians. There are the spiritual Christians and the carnal Christians. But actually, there are three kinds of Christians, and we're going to take that... Other, the, the latter two and define and discuss them. The first group of these two is what he refers to as babes in Christ, new Christians. He talks about them in verse 1 and there is no rebuke because he knows that they, you know, they can't help it. It's normal for them to be babes in Christ because they've had neither the time nor the experience to grow. The rebuke begins at the end of verse 2 when he says, You are yet still a babe in Christ. And the indication is that they've had plenty of time and plenty of experience to grow as a Christian, but out of rebellion and disobedience to God, they have not. Now, a casual reading of this uh, would not help you to see this. You'd have to have a Greek lexicon, but there are two words in the Greek that are translated into the one word fleshly in verses 1 and verse 3. The first word is the word sarkonos, and it refers really to the material out of which we are made. We refer to ourselves as being flesh and blood. So he's talking about the material out of which we are made. But in verse 3, when he begins to talk about the carnal Christian, he uses the word sarkos, which really refers to a condition of life in which a person lives under the control of the physical or fleshly nature. So the first word refers to the material of which we're made. 
The second word refers to the condition of life that is dominated by the flesh. The first has to do with physical makeup. The second has to do with the condition of life that is ethical and moral makeup. The first is material, the second is manner. The first tells what we are, the second word tells how we act. In the first word, we understand that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't help it, we couldn't be any different, we've not had time to grow, but the second word, we've had plenty of time to grow, but we haven't. The first word describes a five-year-old child acting like a five-year-old child. The second word describes a 50-year-old man acting like a five-year-old child. And there is a world of difference. Now some of you this morning are babes in Christ. And we need to understand, I think, that it takes time and experience to grow as a Christian. And if we don't understand that, there will be a great deal of confusion in the church and you know, misunderstanding. Um, I guess the greatest example of this is our Lord Himself. And at the age of 12, he was teaching the teachers in the, in the temple. You remember that story, don't you, from your childhood? I mean, he was, he was answering and giving answers to the teachers. These old men who had been studying the Torah for all these years, Jesus was explaining it to them. Now, had he lived in our day, we probably would have tried to you know, encourage him to hit, go on the road as a child evangelist. Man, would he draw a crowd? 12-year-old boy preaching like that? Well, he'd probably get his own television show. But from the age of 12 to the age of 30, there is no record that he ever performed a miracle and he did no ministry and he never taught. I can just imagine the nominating committee at the synagogue getting together and they're discussing how they're going to fill the vacancies for the next year and somebody says, well, we need a sixth grade boys teacher. Somebody to work with the RAs. We just can't get anybody to work with those RAs. Somebody on the nominating committee says, well, I've got a perfect guy for that. It's that carpenter's son, Joseph's son, Jesus. Everybody, oh, he's such a fine young man, clean, and everybody respects him. Somebody on the nominating committee says, well, we've asked him before. I mean, we've, we've done this a dozen times, and he, he, he talks about waiting on God. Now, for us, that would be a waste, but it's interesting that it took God 30 years, God took 30 years to get Jesus ready for a three-year ministry. And all that time he was growing and increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So there are some of you this morning need not get discouraged as a babe in Christ. There's not instant growth. It takes time and experience. Now there are some characteristics of a babe in Christ. I want you to get these down. Number one. They have a tendency to be legalistic and they have a tendency to measure spirituality on the basis of rules and formulas and, and regulations. And, and these babes in Christ with a tendency to be legalistic kind of go around carrying a spiritual clipboard and stopwatch. And they check off, you know, how they're acting and that's the way they measure spirituality. And here's an old boy that gets, has the idea that in order to be spiritual, you've got to pray 30 minutes every day. So he gets his stopwatch and he starts praying. After a while, he's thinking, man, it must have been 30 minutes at least. And so he peeks at his watch, just been 10. <laughs> Seemed a lot longer than that to me. So, does that sound familiar? And so he's praying on. He knows he's got to pray for 30 minutes to be spiritual. Somebody's told him that. R.A. Torrey did that, and Billy Graham. 
And so he looks again after a while, oh, 28 minutes, then 29, just one more minute to go. And as soon as that 30 minutes is up, he, he, he stops the stopwatch, folds up his spiritual notebook, and goes on his way absolutely convinced he's spiritual. I mean, that's legalistic. And he has a tendency to judge you and me by that standard of legalism. I know a preacher that went to this church, and he didn't know it, but there was a lady teaching a group of teenage girls that you shouldn't wear makeup. And every Sunday, she'd get in her class and she'd make it that lesson go around, somehow get around to the fact that girls should not wear makeup. Now, he didn't know she was doing that, so one Sunday, they stopped him in the hall and they said, Pastor, is it wrong to wear makeup? And he was wanting to be cute, you know, and kind of get in with the teenagers right, right away, so he just said, no, I don't think it's wrong. He said, I think every old barn needs a new coat of paint every now and then. And then he turned around, and there she stood. Huh. I mean, unpainted. Huh. Deacon's wife. And he said, I could just hear the wheels in her head saying, boy, you got yourself in a peck of trouble, boy. And there's, there's a tendency to be legalistic and we have a tendency to judge everything on the basis of a legal standard. Second thing characteristic of a, of a babe in Christ is that they have a tendency to carry over from the old world some of the habits and patterns of the old way of life. I mean some hangover. Now I think we need to understand this because I've talked to a lot of babes in Christ who get awful discouraged in their Christian living because they still act some of the ways that they used to act. They're not perfect. We're not perfect, you know. And so Peter McLeod, who was pastor of First Baptist Church in Waco, tells about working with this old guy, this reprobate in the mines when he lived in Scotland. And he had a string of curse words and a, you know, shame a sailor. He said this guy went to a revival meeting and got saved and they, he was living for the Lord, working in these mines and these guys were going to gang up on him. They just thought, well, that's the silliest thing they'd ever heard of. They're going to prove that that's nothing to that. So one day they heated up a boat they were working with in the mines, red hot, with, held in some tongs. And when his back was turned, they called his name, Billy, heads up, and they threw this hot coal of tong, this hot bolt at him and he grabbed it with his hands, just instinctly, instinctly. And just seared his face, of course. And he just let out that string of curse words again, just like always. And they said, aha, ah, see there, there's really nothing to it. Same way you used to talk, but something was different. Oh, Billy fell down on his knees. And in their presence, he said, God, I'm so ashamed. I reverted back to the past for just a moment. But if you'll forgive me and give me strength, I'll never do it again. That was different, you see. He has a tendency to bring some of the old things over into the new life is a babe in Christ. All right, third, he has a tendency to be offended. Now because he's legalistic by nature, there's a tendency to get offended at the least little thing. And so the Apostle Paul spends a great deal of time in the book of Romans and in the book of 1 Corinthians talking about a problem in the church called the meat offered to idols problem. For here were these weak brothers, he calls them, who were being offended because some of the Christians were eating meat that had been offered to idols, and that offended them. That's why it's so important that you don't put a novice Christian in as a deacon or a leader. 
And most of the time we find this guy that's hot for God, he has a hot heart for God, and enthusiastic, first thing we want to do is give him a place of leadership, make him a deacon. So he comes into the work of the church with this idealistic concept that everything is perfect in the church, and then he finds out it's not, and he's hurt and wounded, and he's not able to handle it. Now I've been pastor of a church since I was 19. In March of 1958, I became a pastor of a small church out in West Texas, 19 years of age. Now, when I started preaching, I thought everybody would love me. You see any reason why they would? No, no. Okay. I thought everybody would like me, and I thought that nobody would ever oppose anything I suggested. After all, I am anointed. And I didn't, it didn't take me long to find out that not everybody loved me. And there were some who dared to oppose me. You know what I would do when that happened? I'd change church. I'd just get me another church. You know, if that's the way you're going to do me, I'll show you. I'd just go get another church. I was so easily offended. By the way, I'm not too crazy about you know, the fact that, you know, today that people might not... I'm not exactly crazy about that yet. But as, a, as, a, uh, as I have matured, I have... I'm not as easily offended. Now, when a babe in Christ, a babe in Christ is easily offended. Number four, we have a tendency as a babe in Christ to be vulnerable to deception. It's easy to deceive a child. And so Paul wrote to the church at Ephesians, he said, Let there be no more children tossed by waves and driven by every wind of doctrine and teaching of men. It's easy to deceive a child. So here's a new Christian, and he hears about somebody going on over there. sound like they're doing the right thing, so he runs over there. And he, man, that sounds good. And all of a sudden, there's another person over here, and they're having more fun. And he runs over here, and all of a sudden, he's just tossed back and forth by every wave and wind of doctrine, running here and running there, and, and trying to find something he really likes. That's a babe in Christ. Now, what is the attitude? What should our attitude be toward these? The attitude we should have, Paul says in Romans 14, is that we are to receive them to ourselves and love them and accept them as they are. And he says we're not to condemn them or criticize them. As a matter of fact, Paul says that if I have anything in my lifestyle that offends a weaker brother, I'm going to change my lifestyle. Now, get, we got that over with now. We're going to get down to the, to the big business here. Now you fashion your seat belts. And if you're easily offended, we may have a little problem here because we're going to get to the carnal Christian. Now I'm going to say this because it's absolutely the truth. Most of the Christians fit this category. Most of the Christians we'd have to put in the slot of a carnal Christian. I'm going to see if I can help you get located. Now, a carnal Christian is a person who has the Spirit but does not live by the Spirit. And he's saved, but he lives like he's lost. And his lifestyle is almost indistinguishable from the lost man's lifestyle. You can't hardly tell the difference. And every problem that existed in the Corinthian church, and there were a lot of problems, was attributed to the fact that most of the Christians in Corinth, believe it or not, were carnal. And so there was immorality in the church. And there was lack of discipline. And they were taking one another to court and suing one another. And they were misusing spiritual gifts. 
And there was in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, this absolute defeatism. They were absolutely powerless and they were defeated. And the tragedy of the church at Corinth was that in their psyche there was this hunger to know the touch of the miraculous and it wasn't there. So that the carnal Christian is a Christian who has the Holy Spirit but doesn't live by the Holy Spirit and he is saved but he lives like he's lost. Now there's some characteristics of a carnal Christian. Get these please. Number one, he is unable to absorb the deep things of God. He'd rather be entertained than enlightened. Somebody told me, he said, I believe that if you ask my church what they thought, you know, what they believe, how they believe, how they measured a great preacher, they'd say, the louder, the better. I mean, it doesn't matter if he enlightens you, if he entertains you. You see what I'm saying? And so we say, come and hear our preacher. I mean, this is hypothetical. Come and hear our preacher. Boy, he keeps you entertained. And we'd rather hear, we'd rather hear Bible stories than Bible doctrine. For there's no appetite for the deep things of God. And there's no interest in going deeper or appreciation for the deep things of God. Because as Paul said it here, they, we are dull of hearing. Now I'm going to read something here. I want you to listen. You don't have to turn. Just listen. Take my word for it. Concerning Him, that is Jesus, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you've needed to again for someone to teach you. You've reverted back to your childishness. Again you've needed someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have, what's this? You have come to need milk rather than solid food. Now what he's saying is this. I have so much that I wanted to give you but you had no interest or appetite for the deep things of God. You have, a, you have an appreciation for the Word of God, but you have no commitment to the deep things of God. You're indifferent to the Word of God as a carnal person. Does that sound like anybody you know? Listen to me. You are indifferent to the Word of God. I didn't say you didn't believe it. I said you're indifferent to it if you're a carnal Christian. So the preacher preaches on gossip again and again and again, and you still gossip. And he preaches on giving again and again and again, and you still withhold giving. And he preaches on prayer again and again and again. And you still don't pray. And you take the Word of God literally, but you don't take it seriously. That's a carnal Christian. Sound like anybody you know? One of the sad things about pastoring a church for 11 years, and I've been here 11 years, seems a lot longer, doesn't it, to you? I've been here 11 years. One of the sad things about being pastor of the same church for 11 years is that I still see little change in the spiritual life of some of you. 
in your spiritual discernment, in your ability to grow, truth is, some of you are the same as you were years ago. And I can't take all the responsibility for that. And we preach week after week after week. And we take that literally, but we don't take it seriously if we're carnal. Second, then there are three stages of growth. First, you, you, somebody, has to feed, somebody has to feed him. Now that's so cute. He gets him a handful of oatmeal and puts it on top of his head. And he puts it in his ear, you know, and you gotta take, you, so you, you gotta feed him and you put it. And he grows up and he becomes a parent and he feeds others. He feeds his own babies, he feeds his own children. To be fed. I preached to people this morning, I preached, and some of you have gotten old enough and strong enough in the Christian life that you can kind of to feed others. doing the work of the church but they sure criticize when it's not done. And the work of the church doesn't do it but he criticizes when it's not done and it's all what on the carnal Christians little hurts and feelings and feeding him. Ain't anybody leave yet so you know, hang in there. Number three. He but I, this is the best way. He, he, they were saying in Corinth they sang there's a Paul Jesus Christ and we tend to form little cliques on the basis of the people who tend to like the people we tend to like and who tend to dislike the people we tend to cliques. And Paul said that the problem of carnality is that you divide on the basis of personality and you get in these little groups. That doesn't mean you don't have friends. What it means is that in the body of Christ we're all friends. I need to say that again. In the body of Christ... We love each other the same. And then he said there's a fourth um, characteristic of carnality in verse 4. It's that they engage in divisive talk. Now look at verse 4 of chapter 3. For when one says, you know what was going on? You know what was wrong in Corinth? Everybody was talking. And when you get everybody talking, you start having divisiveness and people begin to divide and talk about one another. Macbeth used to say that, that little folks talk about things, mediocre folks talk about people, big people talk about ideas. And these people at Corinth were these mediocre folks, these carnal people who talked about one another, and there was divisive talk. And number five, there is selfish ambition, and they're ruled by it. In verse three says, there's jealousy among you. And that word comes from the word zealous, and it means that they were so zealous for their own way. They were jealous when they didn't get it. And they didn't understand the way of the cross. And they were, not they were not able to sacrifice and give up their way. They wanted their way in everything. And then there was number six, self-assertion. He calls strife. Now listen to me. Jealousy means I want my own way. Strife means I'm going to get it. I don't care what it costs. Now I've been in... Churches, as I said, since I was 19, I am going to say this, and I mean it with all my heart. This absolutely is the best fellowship I've ever pastored. Most of the time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Absolutely the best fellowship, but I have seen, I have seen to my heartache people who have to have their way, and they don't care what it takes. They're going to get it. 
And if they have to trample over somebody and they have to bruise somebody or wound somebody, that makes no difference to them. Now what is the solution to all of this? Well, the only way I can define the solution is to show the contrast. Now I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're almost out of here. The book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 17. Now listen to me as you turn. Listen out of one ear. Turn with the other. What we have, it, it seems to me, that if you have a carnal Christian and he lives his life dominated by the flesh, that you find a spiritual Christian, he's the person dominated by the Holy Spirit. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. So what is it like to be under the control of the Holy Spirit? What's that like? Here it is. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is not waiting for you to beg Him to control you. He's waiting for you to permit Him to control you by surrendering every key to every lock that's in your life. He's willing, He's waiting for you to do that. And so what Paul is saying is this, if you have a problem in the Christian life, if there is carnality, here's the answer. You surrender your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. He's waiting for you to hand Him the keys. Now watch. Here's what it's like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with, with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, there are three things characterize the spirit-controlled life. With regard to God, there is a spirit of adoration. I don't know when... And I said it in the early service. I don't know when I've been blessed as much as when it was filled with singing this morning. Because the quintessential description of God is that He is holy. And there is, when the Holy Spirit is in control, there is the spirit of adoration. Now watch. He said singing and making melody to the Lord. He's the object of that adoration. He's the object of that adoration. Whenever the choir fouls up on Sunday morning, it's not because they've sung off key, it's because they've sung to the wrong audience. Who, who, to whom does this adoration belong? The Lord. And Campola says there can be such a relationship with God like his friend had that he just goes around saying, Daddy, I love you. And he's referring to that passage in Scripture where it says, and the Holy Spirit comes crying, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, I love you. The object of our adoration is God, and the instrument of our adoration is the heart. It's not in the heart, the, lock, the uh, locative of sphere. It's the with the heart, which the, is the instrument of instrumentality. And what he's saying is this, that when you live by a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, with your heart you praise Him. Second, with regard to... With regard to circumstances, there is a spirit of appreciation, giving thanks to the Lord always. Now how can you thank God for circumstances? 
some of the circumstances you've been through. Well, you don't thank him for the circumstance. You thank him for the fact that he's in control and he'll use the circumstance to get glory in your life and to work out good if you let him. And you, you thank him for that. You, you, thank for, you, thank, you thank the circumstance for that. Like Sotsanitsyn said, oh, I praise you and thank you, prison, because you brought me to God. And with regard to one another, there is a spirit of, ad, of accommodation. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. You know what that means, submit? It means one Christian, one equal, pla placing himself under another equal uh, voluntarily so that Jesus can get the glory. You kind of sick and tired of hearing people talk about submitting yourselves? You know what this says? It says when the Holy Spirit is in control, there are no groups saying, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Jesus. We voluntarily submit ourselves to one another in the fear of God so Jesus can be glorified. What a church is that. And let me tell you something. You will not grow as a Christian. You will not grow as a Christian apart from the relationships you have with other Christians. Now, if you're a babe in Christ, it'll take you a while. If you've located yourself as a carnal Christian, you know what you need to do. You need to reach into the pocket of your heart and you need to pull out those keys to those locks which are not available to God. And you need to say this morning, Lord, I submit everything to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray this morning for those of us who fit these categories. Some of us in this room are lost. have never come to know Jesus Christ, have never been obedient in baptism, have never begun to follow Christ. I pray for them. I pray for carnal Christians who fit every one of these descriptions. And I pray for that faith and that courage and that submission that will enable us to know what it means to be, live under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, when this invitation is over, every single person you've called and touched, wooed, drawn, will be here at the altar of submission. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, in a spirit of prayer, we're going to stand Mark, come and lead us in this song. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. You sing it while we stand to sing. You come.